0: You're listening to The Pastor-Writer Podcast, Episode 7. For as long as I can remember, I've had an obsessive personality. I can't help it. When something catches my attention, I tend to get obsessed with it. It hit early in elementary school as an eccentric obsession with Civil War history. At eight years old, I would have told you my favorite movie was Gettysburg. I had Civil War wallpaper border in my room— and I would routinely get up early before school to catch episodes of the Civil War Journal on the History Channel. I dreamed of one day being a Civil War reenactor. Keep your Donatello and Michelangelo, I had Grant and Sherman, Manassas and Antietam. At one point, I could name the entire succession of generals for Lincoln's Army of the Potomac: McDowell, McLean, Burnside, who gave us the term sideburns, Google image search it, Hooker, Meade, and Grant. I actually had to look that list up on Wikipedia today. I still love visiting Civil War battlefields. I love Civil War trivia and history, but somewhere along the way, the real passion, the obsession, burned out. That cycle of obsession has played out more times than I can or care to count. Some strange thing catches my attention, and without much hesitation, I start ordering books and making eBay purchases. The obsession burns until I either get exhausted and bored or find something new. All I can say is thank goodness fantasy baseball ends every September. Maybe I should be a little more compassionate with myself. You could characterize the obsessions with a less stigmatized word. Let's choose curiosity. Curiosity is the hallmark of good writers. Leo Burnett once explained, Curiosity about life and all of its aspects, I think, is still the secret of great creative people. That may sound better than obsession, but my revolving door of interest wasn't a productive way of living. You may end up well prepared for jeopardy, but not great at any one particular thing. And there were things I wanted to be good at, things which would require more than three months of obsessive attention. One of those things was writing. I knew it would take long term plotting, not just bursts of momentary enthusiasm. I shared in a previous podcast about how I have been practicing writing, patiently, for the last several years. In 2017, I spent nine months of focused work on a book. I took my time. I tried not to get obsessed, but to think of it as a marathon, one chapter, one paragraph, one sentence at a time. I tried not to think about it as a book, only the next thought that needed to be written down. I found it to be a really freeing process. There was always something new to be thinking about, some new idea to wrestle down. With each revision, I could see the work getting better and better. But sometime around last December, with 68,493 words written, I was forced to admit I had a book And the work was about to change. From the beginning, I wanted to pursue traditional publishing. We can spend more time later talking about that decision on another podcast episode. It's enough for now to say that my work would have to shift now from writing to selling the book. First, I was going to need to work on a book proposal. You need a good query letter and a standout proposal to land an agent, and you need an agent to get access to a traditional publisher. That agent and publisher are going to want to see a solid marketing platform, email subscriptions, Facebook fans, Instagram followers. I need a website and this podcast to get that ball rolling. Truth is, I was already feeling behind. I needed to get going faster. I needed to catch up. A good endorsement by a well-known author might open the right doors, but I was about as far from knowing a successful author as I was an agent. I started thinking about self-publishing. I knew some about that process. EPUB, PDF, CreateSpace, On-demand paperbacks. You can use SmashWords to distribute your ebook for free, which allows you to contact Amazon and ask for a price match. Once free, you can drive traffic to your free ebook to create lead generation from mailing list. And if that worked at scale, maybe then an agent would be interested in a second book because of the obviously demonstratable platform generated from the first. Ha. <sighs> For the month of December, I read everything I could get my hands on. Books on Amazon author services, books on writing winning book proposals, books on the landscape of Christian publishing, on and on. It was all good to learn, worth learning. But one thing was becoming unavoidably clear. I was getting obsessed. The feeling is a touch of desperation combined with a sense of lost time, urgency, things frantically speeding up, insecurity whipped and beaten to haste. I imagined I was behind. I needed to catch up. I started trying to make decisions that didn't yet need to be made. I tried to plan things which weren't ever really in my control. That's when my perspective and objectivity began to fail. Things completely out of my reach seemed essential, and the work I really needed to be doing felt frustrating and hopeless and uninspiring. Down the rabbit hole I went, telling myself there was ever more that needed to be done. Usually about this time, my wife suggests that I close the laptop and find something completely different to work on. Usually, I mount some pathetic explanation about how it's all too important to stop now. She rarely pushes back. She doesn't need to. My defensiveness has already exposed the nerve. She saw what my obsession had for too long obscured. I wasn't just making a psychological mistake or a time management mistake. I had ventured into the realm of sin. I had sacrificed Sabbath and began to take God's work on as my own. Between the actual work and the spiraling chaos of inner obsession, there wasn't much room left for God. I tend to think about Sabbath with a very simple definition. Sabbath is a reminder to stop. Stop working like the world's continual rotation depends on my peddling. If you die tomorrow, the vast majority of the world probably wouldn't notice. And even if your death did make the 10 o'clock headline news, just about everyone would wake up the next day and get back on with their own work. Not nearly as much depends on your doing as you often convince yourself it does. I like the advice of the great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy in writing about Sabbath. He writes, In the name of God, stop a moment, cease your work, and look around you. The desperate need to be published, the relentless and restless need to achieve, to be recognized, It just as often robs the sacredness of Sabbath as does more tangible forms of work or skipping Sunday services. The Pharisees' desperate and obsessive plotting was far more sacrilegious than the disciples' breaking open grain on the Sabbath. The bare and crushing truth is this. My desire to get published was turning me into someone who didn't deserve to be published. For sure not to publish the book I had just written on contentment. With that thought came a startling impulse. I wanted to burn my manuscript. I wanted to burn the book. Delete it off my computer, stack up all the printouts, toss them in the fireplace, and be done with the whole thing. It's maddening. Almost a year of work, and I desperately wanted to walk away from it all. Trust me, I know that sounds crazy. Once again, my wife talked sense into me. It wasn't the writing or the book that had cursed me, but rather the desperation to control it, to know what comes next. I wasn't willing to admit that what comes next wasn't really in my control. After almost a year of work, I wouldn't decide what happened next. Whatever I had accomplished, whatever I would accomplish, was far more in God's control now than it was in mine. This is where my entrepreneurial pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstrap Lone Ranger riding into the sunset identity kicks in and says, Oh yeah, not in control. Watch me. Go ahead. Tell me I can't make this happen. But I knew that wasn't right. Can we be honest? There is a lot more luck and divine providence in this process of writing and publishing than any of us want to actually admit. That was making me feel desperate, when it should have been giving me peace. It should have been producing a kind of faith that puts the work, all of the writing, in God's hands. William Stafford explains, The writer's job is to abandon their work, to allow others to make judgment of its worth and to go on to the next story. When you begin to feel the desperation, stop. Set it aside. Go on to something else. The moment you begin to work out of desperation, you inevitably ruin the work. Over the last few years, my wife and I have been working to remodel a 1956 mid-century ranch home that we purchased. I've laid 1,800 square feet of oak hardwood floors. I've remodeled an entire kitchen and taken a master bath down to the studs. I've done well not injuring myself in that process, but there have been minor accidents along the way. I can usually predict when I'm about to hurt myself. Inevitably, I'll have something that won't be working quite right. A piece that won't fit, a board that won't come out, I'm having trouble making a certain cut. I'll feel myself getting frustrated, and instead of walking away, I start pushing a little harder, swinging the hammer a little more aggressively. The frustration usually begins to distort my perception And just about that moment is when I usually cut myself or smash a finger. The frustrated determination clouds my judgment. Slowly, I've come to recognize these moments and instead walk away, take a breath, and stop. I think that can happen just as easily in our writing, too. For me, that moment of breaking my obsession with getting this book published finally came while worshiping at our Christmas Eve service. I'm a pastor. Worship, especially on nights like Christmas Eve, are supposed to focus your attention on God. I know that. But that night, my head wasn't there. I was thinking about getting published. Sad, but true. But something happened. It wasn't much. There we were, 30 people gathered in a room, my wife and kids worshiping beside me. My kids excited, probably, about what came the next day, presents, Christmas Day. And a thought crossed my mind. The reason I write is so that I can better appreciate moments like these. And here I was, my writing, distracting me from what was best in life, what was happening around me, what was really most valuable. This is why I write, to force myself to recognize moments like these, lives like these, worship like this. What is a book? What is a contract? What are royalties and distribution, lists and advance payments if they obscure this? And what could I possibly hope to write about in the future if I could so easily, so desperately overlook what was happening right now around me? In that moment, I found myself with a simple prayer. This is what I want. This moment of worship with my family, far more important than a publishing contract. Who knows what will come of my writing? I'm going to continue to work hard at it, but I don't need it. That night, I offered my writing and this book that I had been working on to God. I won't get obsessed. This, I think, is one of the greatest gifts of writing. The sheer faith and audacity of doing it without ever knowing what will come of it. Faith. And when I happen to stumble my way into getting it right, when I learn to write by faith, by prayer, by obedience, without the maddening need for control, a remarkable thing does happen. I found myself wanting to write more. I find myself with something to say. I find myself far more coherent, even when I start talking to potential agents. I sound like a real human being again. Writing desperate always ends up smearing the ink. It's not just you who suffers, so does the work. I don't think this realization is substantially different from the calling to pastor a particular congregation in a particular place. Looking back, this whole lesson was familiar ground for me. I actually write about a similar experience I had in pastoring, one of these intersections between being a writer and a pastor. Here is a portion from my book on Samson about that realization. A significant part of my call to ministry has been a commitment to the church I'm currently pastoring. I have a deep conviction about staying, partly because I know my tendencies to want to ramble. From time to time, I do feel the urge for something new. Those urges always seem to correspond to Sundays with down attendance and months when the budget gets a little too tight. I'm not interested in exploring what I have, but in starting over. Loading the family in an old Ford pickup and driving west starts sounding pretty good. I start imagining life on some mountain stream where the trout are always sipping on dry flies, quails still hang out in coveys of 20 or 30 birds, and the congregants show up regularly for Sunday worship. I'm not confident such an ecosystem even exists, but I sure can't imagine it. We can always imagine better places. A few years ago, I got into a routine of asking myself a specific question every time I felt that rustling of discontent. It was a way of shaking off the daydream and opening my eyes again to what was in front of me. The question is an act of exploration. There I would be, standing in front of 30 people in my congregation, about to preach what on those Sundays always felt like a mediocre sermon— and feeling in my spirit desperate, desperate to do something else, desperate to do something bigger. So I would silently ask myself this question. Am I willing to commit to this? Yes or no? How would I feel if God asked me to pastor these same 30 people for the next 50 years? At the end, would I lie in some hospital bed a few hours from death feeling content with faithfulness, or would I feel like I had failed to achieve something great? That question Begins an interrogation of what you most want. Be careful if you aren't willing to go deep. If I was really honest with myself, a lot of the time I knew I wanted more. Faithfulness wasn't enough. I knew that if this was it, I would feel like a failure, with little to show for it. Renewing my vow to this same place with all of this same stuff seemed like a death sentence. I wanted to answer no. But every once in a while, the answer was yes. Regardless of how I felt, I would always renew my vows, believing and hoping in that yes. My ability to answer yes didn't seem to come from preaching an occasionally good sermon or a few extra guests in attendance. Usually the yeses came on Sundays when I had the awareness, the self-forgetfulness, as C.S. Lewis calls it, to sense that God was at work around me. The yeses came on Sundays when I could see God moving in other people's lives. They came on Sundays when I, by some grace, was able to simply enjoy what I was doing without needing to make more of it. The yeses came when life was about something more than my own achievements. Those Sundays, the ones when I can answer yes, always felt the most free. Those Sundays are when I felt most myself. Those Sundays left me feeling grateful just to be a participant in what God was doing. I didn't need anything else from them. Participating was enough. Trusting was enough. Those Sundays are more frequent now, but there is enough of my rambling spirit to still at times want more. That desperation still doesn't feel free. I think you know what I'm describing. You felt the same restless discontent before. But by God's grace, I also experience moments of reality that break through the insecurity. Moments that stream down like light between leaves and branches, drawing my attention away from myself for just long enough to be in on something bigger. A good dinner conversation with my wife, watching the kids laugh and run crazy in the backyard, a sense of divine pleasure in some simple prayer or unrecognized sacrifice, those small commitments, the stuff of freedom. They are who I am at my best, just watching and worshiping in gratitude. A world apart from the desperation to make something of myself. A world apart from the slavery of attending to myself. I'm most free when I'm taking it all in. I focus an attention firmly committed to recognizing every God-given detail unfolding around me. Light streaming in, lighting up all the wonderful textures and contours and details of this place. Commitment becoming discovery and discovery taking me deeper into commitment. This place, these people... My calling and identity merging together into a kind of unspoken worship, gratitude, that may be best voiced by a silent prayer of thank you. Those moments surround me every day in all kinds of simple commitments, far too few of them catching my full attention. Attention turns out to be one of the most important steps of faith, and attention can only be sustained through commitment. So let me end with this question. What is the real work that you're trying to do? Is it a publishing contract? Is it landing some literary agent? Or could the real work be faithfully putting down on paper what you see, what God is doing? Could the real work be stopping, letting go of enough to actually discover something new and write something worth reading? In the end, I would pay a publisher in advance if they could offer me a life of contentment and writing free from desperation and obsession. Do you remember the scene of Moses standing on the mountain looking out over the promised land? Forty years he had wandered in the desert as a shepherd, and forty more he spent trying to lead the grumbling, backstabbing, fickle Israelites. All that time the promised land was before him, a land flowing with milk and honey just over the horizon. Now, there it was. How he must have imagined the salty breeze over the Mediterranean, the feeling of bare feet in the sand, the palm trees and vineyards weighed down by clusters of ripened grapes. There would be feasts and celebrations, worship and dancing. Moses realized, though he could now look down into that land, he would never set foot into it. God had already informed him. His frustrated outburst at the rock would cost him the promised land. I can hardly imagine the crushing weight of that disappointment. I imagine Moses sitting, watching the sun rise over the promise, which he now realized would never be his. Do you know what Moses did? I know what I would have done. I would have begged and pleaded, got obsessed and manipulative, felt bitter and wronged. But Moses climbed back down the mountain, gathered the Israelites, and preached the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to his words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. God takes from Moses the greatest desire of his entire life. And Moses goes down and urges the people to love God and serve him and never forget what he has done for them. I think sitting on that mountain, looking at the promised land, Moses came to a realization. God had always been the real promise. To be faithful to him was a far greater reward than milk and honey. So Moses died in the wilderness, worshiping God. Moses found rest. He found the ultimate land of promise. So, to end our discussion, I still haven't burnt the book. The manuscript is right here on my desk and on my computer. I'll give it my best to get it published. I think the work deserves it. But should some natural disaster wipe out my computer, all of the copies I've emailed to editors, my Dropbox backup, and the hard copies on my desk, I'll probably wake up the next day and get on with writing something else. The Promised Land isn't a contract, it isn't a publishing deal. The Promised Land is faithfully living and doing the work that God is calling you to do. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying the Pastors Writer podcast, I'd encourage you to leave a review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways that you can help other people find the podcast and also show your support. If you're looking for show notes, you can find those by visiting pastorwriter.com seven. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on my website, pastorwriter.com. You'll receive my recommended reading for improving your writing as well as updates anytime a new episode is posted. Until next time, thanks for listening.